Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings, this Lord's Day, in the name of Jesus. Greetings. Today we are here under the banner of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can we say amen? Amen. amen? We are His people, the sheep of His pasture, and today we enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. We will say this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice, for He has made us made us glad you know but we don't always feel that way right we can say it and uh, we can sing it but we don't always feel that way now everything I said was true but it's not always reflective of our state of mind sometimes we come into the church feeling like it's the end of the world in those dark days when we cannot see our way, we remember even more to follow the Good Shepherd because He can always see. Amen? Amen? Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 23. Psalm 23, we'll be preaching about it next week, uh, but it's part of our message today. And um, I'll read it for us. Psalm 23, if you know it and you'd like to say it with me and you'd like to let it be your profession of faith maybe you need a profession like this today say it with me the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for thou art with me Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now there's hope. Let us pray. Lord God, we need you, we love you. We come before you as your people today knowing that we have no right without you to be here. Lord, that you have called us, though. You have called us your children, your sons, your daughters. You've invited us in this place. We know that you are able and ready to forgive us of our sins as we confess them before you. We know that we, as we hunger and thirst that you will feed us with food from heaven. And we pray today that you would change us that this day, at the end of this day, we will be more like you than we were when it started. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I am particularly thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Um, I love my job. And I love this church. And I'm thankful to get to each week serve this church and do the work of the Lord. Um, honestly, I'm sort of living a dream come true. 
Um, and I know I've been doing it a long time, but I'm just sort of feeling it that way today. So I'm very, very thankful for all of you. Not only do I love this church, I love you guys. I think about you and pray for you. And I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful. You know, God could give you a job you didn't like. He can give you a wife or a husband that you don't like or a dad. Uh, and he can give you some unpleasant things to do. But I'm thankful that I love what I do. And I'm thankful I get to do it. And so I've really been enjoying going through the book of Psalms. Um, it confronts us week after week after week with things we really maybe don't even want to be confronted with. Uh, but the book of Psalms is, as we are finding out, it is a journey into deep emotions, feelings, doubts, fears, troubles, and triumphs. Amen? Psalm 22 is certainly no exception. In fact, it might be a little difficult for you to hear today. My sermon today is called Killing Our King. It is from Psalm 22. I'm going to read the first eight verses. It has 20-some verses, so I'm not going to read all of them, but I am going to preach through them all today. So let me read my text. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 8, Killing Our King. To the chief musician upon Ajlf Shehar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and they were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip and they shake their head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him then, seeing that he delights in him. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful that your word shines into every dark corner of our lives and illuminates it with the beauty of your truth. I pray today as we go to a very dark place in the life of David and in the life of Christ as well, that we would see our way to holding up your light into all the parts of our lives too. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 22 is almost entirely prophetic. As you will soon see, it's obvious that it is about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. But being that it was written nearly 500 years before that, obviously it had something to do with what was going on at that time as well. All those years before Jesus was born, David experienced a time of despair and abandonment so dark and difficult that when he wrote Psalm 22 to remember it, God used it to point to the greatest turning point in all of history, and that is the cruel death of Christ. To the greatest moment of despair anyone has ever felt in human history. Now, in my sermons from the past two weeks, God saved the king and prayer of my king from Psalm 20 and 21, we saw how there were uh, two prayers tied together in a call and response. Remember, David wrote a prayer for the people to pray for him. He wanted them to pray that his prayers would be heard, that his offerings would be acceptable, that God would save him, that God would hear him when he cried. And then Psalm 21 responds... God heard me. God delights in me. God answers my prayers. My prayers were acceptable to God. Kind of a neat pairing of the two psalms. In these psalms, David, we see David's prayer became a prophetic as he not only wrote about himself, but he wrote about the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was praying things in those psalms that were certainly could not be said 
of him. He did not live forever. And every prayer he answered was not, every prayer he offered was not answered by giving him what he wanted. These would be prayers only for the king, the prophesied Messiah who was to come. Messiah would establish a throne that would never end. His prayers would always be heard and he would have eternal life. And as we look to the next two Psalms, Psalm 22 and 23, we're going to see also another pairing of two Psalms together here. We will see the killing of the king, of King Jesus, and we'll be invited to follow the king. That's what we're going to do next week, follow the king. You guys ready to follow the king? Into the valley of the shadow of death. His calling, which was Christ's calling in the way that Bonhoeffer put it, was to do what? Come and come and die. I mean, that really sounds depressing. I'd like you to come and die. But we understand that it wasn't. In the Psalms, we often come face to face with this subject matter. The subject of Christ calling us to come and to die. We don't really like this at all. Jesus, in fact, didn't really want to die the way he did. We re- if you remember in the garden, he prayed, if it's possible, if there's some other way for this to happen, let this cup pass for me, right? Isn't that what he said? He prayed this. He sweat great drops of blood. He agonized with it. And so no wonder we agonize with the very thing that God has called us to do. Here in Psalm 22, we are taken with David lower than we probably want to go. Despair is certainly not an emotion any of us really want to talk about too much. I'm sure if I put uh, you know, out a little booklet uh, or uh, an offering of uh, something out on a table where I was speaking and it was you know, five sermons on despair and how you probably feel like your life has come to an end. It might not be popular, but I'm sure there are some people who walk by the table that might want to pick it up. Because when you're in it, you're in it. And it's very, very, very hard to find your way out. But the truth is we've all felt it at times in our lives, even, even little kids. Even little kids feel it. In fact, sometimes I think they feel it as much as we feel it. And we sort of laugh at them a little bit because how could they? But folks, they're in it. They really, really feel it. Now, generally, coupled with any mention of despair in a discussion or a poem, there's, there's a phrase, right? You guys know what it is, right? I am in the depths of despair. It's certainly a good word to go with it. Psalm 22 is the very bottom of the depths of despair. Now, we all try to imagine how others feel when they suffer, but we really don't have any idea. One of the things, as my wife and I were kind of embarking on a lifetime where we were asking God to help us with people who were suffering, one of the things that we came to understand is that one of the number one things is that people do not know how other people feel. And if you're ever trying to help someone that's hurting, please don't walk up to them and go, I know how you feel. Because you don't, okay? You can't possibly know. You may have lost someone, but how how can you know that what they meant to you is what they meant to them? You know, I lost my mother in her 70s. That's not like losing your mother when she's 40, right? It's not the same. Physical and emotional pain is relative. We have no way of knowing what others are going through, and so... If you think you do, you're most likely wrong. From your little one who's in the depths of despair because he can't ride with grandma to the restaurant, right? They're like, oh! (laughs) Right? And you're thinking, oh, really? Just get get in the van and shut up, right? That's what you're doing. But in the moment, they're like, I'm serious. That, they, that's the poster for despair. Like, I'll never get to ride again with Grandma. So we laugh at that, but, but then we have real pain, right? Pain we recognize as being real. But folks, even those kids are feeling some rough stuff right then. 
the pain of the breakup of young love or even the destruction of a friendship. That's rough stuff, guys. The death of your closest friend. The loss of hope in your future. Death knows many. Despair knows many depths. It's the feeling that it's the end, our lowest point of pain and sorrow, which we cannot, in those moments, those hours, those days even, we cannot see how things can be better. It's hopelessness. Any, anybody understand what I'm talking about? You're like right in it, and you're just like, it's never going to get better. They're never going to care for me. It's not going to work out. My life's going to be completely depressing, and nothing good is ever going to happen, and there's no way out. That's what despair is. And some of you, some of you even that I look at, that I see smiling, you're smiling because you, you know you're not feeling that today. But you know there was a day that you felt it, right? And you know in the day that you felt it, someone could not just walk up and just go, snap out of it. You're going to get over this one day. Quit it. You can't. That's what songs sometimes are for. They're to help us remember what we are better served not forgetting. Corinne, there'll be days when you feel bad again. You'll feel hopeless again. But God will bring you out of those too. You've been in a huge disagreement with your husband or your wife and you wonder if you'll ever be able to love one another again. You've been accused of or talked about. People have said horrible things about you. Maybe they won't even talk to you about it and they believe it. You missed an incredible opportunity that will never, you are sure, ever, ever come back to you. Now when we hear about the despair of others, we're tempted to compare it to our own. We sometimes do it to console ourselves that what the people are going through really is not so bad. Or worse, our foolish attempts to help the other person out, right? We feel by explaining to the person that worse things have happened to us and to the other people, that they really, really should not be so bad off. Don't we do this, guys? How does this work? Does this work out good for you? What it does, it serves really to make people feel even worse. Like, oh, so I, I feel horrible, I feel lower, I see, see no hope, and now you're making fun of me. Now you're acting like my pain isn't anything. Folks, when you're in it, you're in it. A little girl screaming in pain over the splinter in her hand, being told by her mother that what she's feeling is, that's nothing compared to having a baby. Any point in that? Despair is not a reference emotion. The power of the feeling of hopelessness and abandon knows no relief by comparison. When you are in despair, you are in it, and no matter what anyone else has ever felt, no matter what anyone else says to you, you feel like it's the end of the world, and for that moment, it's all that. You might go, oh, are you going to keep saying this over and over? Yeah, I might. Loving one another through these times of unimaginable bleakness is challenging. But the truth is only God can rescue us from ourselves when we're in despair. We can't do this for other people. You can't, you can't come in there and just lead somebody out. You just can't do it. You, God has to do this for people. Here in Psalm 22, we see how God inspired David to write about how he dealt with his greatest time of despair. We don't even know what it was. You see, David's like most of us. He didn't handle it well at first. But by God's grace, he went to the only reliable and understanding source. Who understands your pain? Christ. The Bible says he was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We know that he experienced the very depths of human emotion, of loss, of rejection, of shame. Right? I mean, there are people in countries who, if they, were, if they were publicly shamed, they would end their lives. They can't deal with that, right? But what was Christ? King of kings, Lord of lords, paraded naked, beaten, thought of as a criminal, hanging publicly for all to look with a mocking sign above his head. Really? Whatever David was going through was pretty bad. But he could go to one who understood shame, 
fear, rejection. So we start off here in verse 1. To the chief musician upon Ajalef Shahar, the Psalm of David. Now, if you look this word up, it sounds like you know something you would read on the Aladdin Shriner's temple or something like that. A musician upon Ajalef Shahar, you know, with the, one of those hats. You know, we, we, we saw them yesterday at this uh, parade. We saw an hour's worth of Shriners. I've never seen anything like it. Sorry, I had to, had to throw that out there. But really, if you translate the, this phrase, it means doe of the dawn. Everybody say, doe of the dawn. So simply hearing it translated as doe of the dawn, it kind of summons something to my mind that fit the psalm. As a hunter, and those hunters here know this. I know we got some hunters here. Hunters go in the darkness and they get kind of set in their place. And when is it that these deer are most vulnerable? It's right at the break of dawn. I've done it. I've gone and I've got my stand or I've gotten behind my tree or I've climbed up in this tree and I've got my gun ready and it's totally dark. And as the, as the light, you know, all of a sudden, boom, now you can see the deer, have, they're, they're clueless. Deer are nocturnal. And so they've been walking around all night and they're about ready to go and bed down for the day, but they, they, they're out right there at dawn. Imagine watching a movie, seeing a hunter set and ready and an unsuspecting deer approaching. Based on what kind of music you hear, you think you happen to know what is about to happen to the deer, right? It may have been a tune like that, suspenseful with a touch of impending doom. So we don't know if it's the name of a tune or if it's describing the mood of it. But basically, if you got a gun and the deer doesn't know you're there, pretty hopeless situation, right? He's done. That's what Psalm 22 is. That's why it made me think that maybe it has to do with that. Psalm 22 starts off, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? Now, none of us can hear the opening plea without immediately remembering that they were whose words? They were Christ's words, right? They were the words of Jesus on the cross in his final moments on earth as a man, agonizing in physical pain from every part of his body, struggling against the nails and the gasps for breath, powerful thirst filling his mouth, but most of all the knowledge that he would bear the sins of the world and he would face Death. If ever there was an earthly time for despair, it was then. In those two opening and repeated calls, my God, my God, we hear desperation mingled with faith, kind of like water mixed with gall, declaring his faith that God was there and listening, right? My God, he, you know, if you're really in despair, why call for God at all if He's not going to help you? If He isn't listening, if He isn't really your God, right? So in the call itself, there's faith. My God! People don't call when there's no one to hear them. He calls out in faith and He asks what may sound like and what may have been a faithless question. At the same time, he calls out twice as if he needed to get God's attention or call louder because God couldn't hear him. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you not hearing my loud cries, my, my roars? Oh, God! In one sense, he calls him as God. And in another, he accuses him of what God could not do. Could God ever not hear you, Brother Steve? Of course not. He can hear you. So he's saying something that's not true. He's accusing God of not hearing him. God's not listening. God's not paying any attention. God's not noticing his suffering. Church, I'll tell you right now, God does not abandon us. There will be times when the devil leans over you and he will go, he doesn't care about what's going on in your life. He's not watching He'll, the devil will do that. He's a liar. Jesus said, I will never, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will come to you. The Bible says when we call, he will 
Answer, he hears the prayers of his people. We are never alone. He always hears us. We can never go so low. We can never be under a weight so heavy that God cannot lift it. But isn't that what we do in despair, Elizabeth? Sometimes we say things, we're unreasonable. We say things to people. We lose our reasoning powers, you know. We often contradict ourselves, you know. Come here, come here, get away from me, get away from me. I love you so much, but I, I hate you. I can't go on anymore, but would you consider making up with me? You know, like, pretty silly. So here we are in verse 2. And as we go to verse 2, he does another my God. So he's already said, my God, my God, right? Verse 2 starts off with an even more intense appeal to God. And it's, oh, my God, he's calling Again, here we have in just, just a few verses, we have David, my God, my God. And now we have in verse 2, oh my God. Even more desperate, even more faith and faithlessness running together like salt and sweet water as a river that flows into a sea of despair. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear me. I cry in the night and I am not silent. I'm crying out to you. You're not hearing me. I cry in the day, but you don't hear me. I cry in the night words, but, but Lord, they're not even making it to your ear. Once again, you can hear him saying things that you know God can hear, but what he was saying is truly how he felt, and in that sense, it's true, but what he was saying about God was not. We say the same things to each other. We look at people when we're very upset and we say, you're not hearing me. How many of you had anyone say this to you? You're not hearing me. I mean, they're looking at you in your eye. Their entire life is right here and you're going, you're not hearing me. And you're like, but, but I am hearing you. I, I can hear you. I'm looking at you. No, no, you're not. It's what we do when we're very, very upset. We say contradictory things that make no sense whatsoever. Our words, though, do not fall to the ground. God always hears us. Can we say Amen. If he numbers the hairs on our head and he notices the, the sparrows that fall to the ground, how much more should we know that he hears and he even counts our words? Despair, though, is not reasonable. You can't reason with it or talk anyone else out of it. It sits on you and it crushes you and crushes out your sensibilities. David regains his sanity, though, thank God, in verse 3. And this is our only hope when we find ourselves here in the same place. You know, what I'm hoping today that you'll see is that you'll see a way out of your next bout with despair. Some of you go, well, that's never going to happen. If you're alive and in the world today, there'll be a moment coming for you. Verse 3, he says, But thou art holy, O Lord, thou inhabits." The praises of Israel. He sees the holiness of God. And that he dwells not only in the tabernacle. Not only on Zion with the Ark of the Covenant. But he inhabits the praises of his people. God's not abandoned him. Even if it feels like he has. Oh, I had a horrible, desperate day once in my life. I remember. I remember when it was over. I was laying uh, in the floor of this room, and, and uh, I may have talked about it because it's a big, big moment in my life. This ceiling fan was on, and, and it was, I was laying underneath it, and I'm just crying, and, and the ceiling fan was making my face cold, and, and the tear had bit. They were so hot, and it was kind of a weird sensation. I remember, I remember saying, Lord, why did you abandon me all that time? And now you're here. And I just remember the Lord, very patient with me in my foolishness, reminding me that he's never been, he, was never, he never left. He was there the whole time. You know, you guys know that, what is that? It's, it's a poem, it's a picture. Have you guys seen it? You know, the one about the, 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 the person walking in the sand and they see there's only one set of footprints. And they're claiming that God left them and God says No. That's because I was carrying you at that time. God never leaves us. 
To further battle his unbelief, he fights by remembering the faithfulness of God. That's what we've got to do. We've got to remember what God has done, who he is. Lord, you're holy. You dwell with your people. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. Verse 4, he says, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. This is what we got to do. We got to remind ourselves. In despair, we can look back to what God has done. This is how despair begins to be displaced. Faith and hope diffuse and they dissipate despair when we are reminded of what God has done. Looking back for faith and looking forward to the promises of God in our future is the only way to begin in our right now to, to move those clouds of despair from us. Verse 5, they cried unto thee and they were delivered. They trusted in thee and they were not ashamed. Again, to build our faith, we need to look back and remember what God has done. Why do we forget? Because we don't remember, right? In times of despair, we need to remind ourselves of three things. Who God is, what He has done, and who we are. This is what David does. He reminds himself who God is. God, you're holy. God, you're good. You're just. God, you're loving. Then you have to remember what He's done. He's answered your prayers when you've called. He's taken you out of situations that were worse or just as bad as this. He's blessed you. He's loved you. He's, he's come to you in your time of need before. And third, we need to remember who we are. Sometimes the devil, he doesn't like you to remember who you are. He likes you to forget who you are. That's oftentimes when we do the dumbest things we ever do when we forget who we are. We are the children of God. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are his sheep. We've got a shepherd. We've got a king. We've got a father. There are no fatherless in Christ. He is a father to the fatherless. Remembering these things should fill us with confidence in God and in our future. But sometimes when we're thinking too much about who we are, we can be led astray by the devil. So beware. Because this is what happens to David. He begins to accuse him to himself. You're thinking, that's right. Who am I? I'm a daughter of the Lord. I'm a good. And the devil goes, yeah, let me tell you else who you are. You're, you're the guy that ran off with Bathsheba. You're the guy that, that had her husband killed. You're the guy who didn't do what he should with his sons. You're that guy. And in the, oh, you're like, oh. Has ever happened to you? David accuses David to himself. You know, when we read about the devil being the accuser of the brethren, we, we think about it how other people talk about us, but I think he probably spends more time accusing you to you. You're not a very good this. You're not a very good daughter. You're not a very good son. You're not a very good husband or a wife. You're not, you're not what kind of a Christian are you? You take a step forward, the devil sends you two steps back. While you're trying to look back at God's goodness, he reminds you of how much you deserve the horrible thing that is happening to you. And you start letting what you think others think about you define you instead of God's word. Here David goes, verse 6, I'm a worm. <laughs> how, many, how many have felt like a worm? You, know, you sing that song, for such a worm as I, and you're like, that's right, that's me, that's right, I'm a worm. And you're not doing it in the right way. You're doing it in the sad, depressed, despair. That's right. I'm a worm. I'm worthless. Nobody cares about me. Oh. I'm a worm and no man. He's not a man. He's the king of Israel, folks. He's living in a palace, anointed by the prophet Samuel, protected by God again and again, running out before Philistines, cutting their heads off, making the, the children of Israel singing, David has killed his ten thousands. I'm a worm. I'm nobody. Really? I'm a reproach of men. I'm despised by the people. David is the most loved king that Israel ever had. If you say the word king in the world today, in the United States of America or wherever Christianity is, the next I guarantee you that if you Googled king, the next thing is the next word is going to be David. King David. 
Most beloved. I'm a worm. No man. A reproach of men. I'm despised of the people. This might be so. You might be a worm. People may hate you. They may have shamed you. You might be, you may have shamed yourself. But still, even in that, God is saving you and calling you his own, washing you of your sins, granting you the status of righteous. I'm telling you, one of the greatest truths, the most powerful thing in the world is you may be vile. You may have done things that if anybody knew about it, they wouldn't want to sit within a hundred feet of you. They may despise you and hate you, but I'm telling you that Christ, the Bible says, though your sins are crimson, though you are covered and laden in sin, and you are, many of you don't know it, but some of you know it. Some of you know what you've done. Some of you can't even deal with things that you've done. And it may all be true, but do you know one day, Heath, do you know what we're going to do? We are going to stand before the God of heaven wearing a white robe of righteousness. And everything that we did isn't remembered, isn't thought of, and we're going to get to stand there like that. And we're going to get to stand there because of what Christ went through. His moment of despair. You see, He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was shamed and he was mocked and he was despised and rejected of men and of us even. And still, his death brings for us the right white robe of righteousness and we will stand clean before the Lord. Isaiah prophesied that this is what Messiah would do. We read it. I'm going to read it again. When we shall see him, the Messiah, there will be no beauty. Now, you know what? Why couldn't Jesus have been beautiful? The Bible said that his face was so marred by the abusers that you couldn't even recognize it. There was no beauty in him that we should desire him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And what did we do? We hid, as it were, our faces from him, and we despised him. Now, you see, this is the thing. This is what takes his despair, the despair of Christ, way lower. I mean, we can deal with the fact that the world hates us, right? We can deal with the fact that the devil hates us. But how about this? The people of God hate you, too. Because it says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. It wasn't just the devil or evil men. It was the ones he was saving. We are the ones that hid our faces from him. We despised him. And if anyone could have seen beauty in him, it should have been the ones he was saving, but we couldn't. Verse 4, surely he had borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and we still didn't esteem him. You see, he's not carrying the griefs of everyone else. He's not cleansing the sins of everyone else. But at least we could have seen it as beautiful, but we, we didn't even then. Stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. But what have we? All we like sheep have done what? We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of, a, of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb as a slaughter and as a sheep before his shears were dumb. And he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of his people, he was stricken. He had made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. The hardest line comes next. It's just, it's honestly, it's unthinkable. And someone might say it's the most unchristian thing I've ever heard. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. When? When he will make his soul an offering <laughs> for sin. He shall see his seed. 
He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his land. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. We were talking about this the other day. I was talking about with one of the families in the church. Job's ordeal would be so different had he known what it was for. Sometimes when we're in despair, we, we forget that God puts us there. It pleases God that we're there. We're there for us and maybe for someone else. You know, I enjoy a lot of great freedom and blessing and comfort, but I mean, who's to say? They may do to me what they did to Adoniram Judson or with a lot of other preachers, a lot of other men of God. I may be over there thinking we're just having a fun time. They may put me in a prison over there and beat me and torture me. And you might go, well, you shouldn't talk like that. Folks, that's what we're for. If that saves people, if that brings people's mind to what they need to be, if that's how God chooses to, to glorify himself through my suffering, then that's what I'm for. I'm not saying I'll bear it well. I'll probably scream like a little sissy. But I'll tell you what, I'll know. I'll, when the screaming's over, what I'll know. This is what, this is what God has for me. And all he did, it wasn't what he did. What did, what did all they did to him, what did he do? He said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was forgiving the Romans, yeah. But he was forgiving the Jews too. He was forgiving those people that rejected him. He came unto his, his own. The great pit of despair for David was an inheritance that he would pass on to his son Jesus. Many generations to come, it would be an inheritance of pain, rejection, and suffering to save the people. It is a great honor to be a king, but it's also a great burden. And David bore this burden for the people because it pleased God for him to bear it. Your burden pleases God as we suffer the reproaches of Christ, as we are despised of those without, and even within the church, when we stand with David in Christ in despair, we, the kings and the priests of this new order, the kingdom of God, please God when we die to what we want and surrender to his will. That's what Jesus did. Nevertheless, right? Sweating. If need be, great drops of blood and agony. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Philippians 2, we read it in our... New Testament reading, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Watch as David comes and goes from despair as he goes from looking back in faith to looking at himself in his situation. See how these words here in Psalm 22 draw a clear picture of the sufferings of Christ. Verse 7, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip. They shake their head saying, and we'll get to what they're saying in verse 8, but you can't you see him? I mean, when people mock, they don't just go, you're nothing. They go, right? They shoot out their lip. That's what they do. That's what they're talking about. Why is it? That is the, that is, that's the mouth of mockery. Come on. Get down off the cross. You think you're somebody? Folks, I'm telling you, if you have never been mocked before by somebody and had to suck it up, it's a painful thing. I've said this before and I'll say it again. There's no way, I could not have been the savior of the world because I would have turned them to a greasy spot on the ground. I would have called the angels to kill them all and, and to, to deal with them right then. Jesus could have done that. He's internalizing all this mockery. I mean, it's one thing for me to be mocked like that, but he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Lord of glory. Verse 8 saying he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing that 
God's so happy with him. The very words the soldiers of the unre- and the unrepentant thief in Matthew chapter 27 would say, David turns back again to God, remembering who he is. This is what he's got to do. David, you see this going back and forth. Now he's, he's like, this is who, they're mocking, they got their lips stuck out. They're, they're saying, oh, oh, he's, oh, he's supposed to be God's king. Well, why don't he save him now? Verse 9, I love it. He turns back, he says, you took me out of the womb. You made me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. What David begins to do right now is, is it's kind of like, it's the flag, Steve, you lift. You know how at the end of one of those games, those soccer games, those guys grab the, the flag and they grab it and they take off running. We talked about the banners we talked about from one of the Psalms earlier. They run across the field with that flag. You know, kind of a thing. Here's a flag. You find yourself in despair. You pull out your sovereignty banner. And you just grab a hold of that thing and you say, let me tell you about my God. He sings of God's sovereignty, which can be our greatest comfort in this time of trouble. God is not allowing. God is not coping with the situation. He's not helping us through things. God has brought us here. Therefore, our good. He is saving us. And not only saving us, He's saving the whole world through our suffering. Calvin brought up this point in such a beautiful way. I had to copy this because I just, I just, man, I love Calvin. He mentions this about babies and, and God using this and David using this example here in Psalm 22 about babies. And whoever thinks of babies as, as a baby should be the, the, the doctrine of sovereignty. If it had an image, there should be a little baby. That's what that's Calvin saying here. He said, by the operation, and he's got fancy words, I'll, 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 I'll try to help you. He said, by the natural causes, infants come into the world, they are nourished with their mother's milk. Yet therein, the wonderful providence of God brightly shines forth. And you might go, what's he talking about? What can a, ba- can a baby go kill a, an animal and cook it? Can he milk a cow? Can he do anything? Oh no, he can't. And what David is saying is happening here. David is reminding himself of his own helplessness and how God has again and again and again met his needs. This miracle, it is true, because of its ordinary occurrence, is made less account by us. We are feeding babies and we just think it's some analogy. He said, but if ingratitude did not put upon our eyes the veil of stupidity, we would be ravished with the admiration at every child that is born in the world. What prevents the child from perishing as it might a hundred times in its own corruption before the time of of its bringing forth arrives from, from its mother's womb? But that God by his secret and incomprehensible power keeps it alive and keeps it from the grave. And after it is brought into the world, seeing it is the subject of so many miseries and cannot stir a finger to help itself, how could it live even a single day did not God take it up into his fatherly bosom to nourish it and protect it? Are you starting to see what Calvin is? He's saying, David is talking about him being in the womb. He's talking about him being a baby as he's nursing because he's reminded that it's God that's been his provider and has cared for him his whole life. He said it is therefore with good reason that the infant is cast upon him. For unless he fed the tender little babes and watched over all of the offices of the nurse, even at the very time of their being brought forth, they are exposed to a hundred deaths by which they would be suffocated in an instant. Finally, David concludes that God was his God. God was true in all appearance. Its goodness was celebrated even to the brute creation, but it is only mankind that shows himself to be a father in a special manner. God's sovereignty can lay a knockout punch to despair. How can we despair when God has brought us to the edge himself? Instead of despair, what we should do is we should jump. And we should fly. Isaiah 40 puts it this way. Have you not known? Starting in verse 28. Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, have you not heard that he doesn't faint, that he isn't weary, that there is no searching his understanding? 
He that giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Seeing God's sovereign hand will lead us out of despair, despair and we can fly out. Like Steve was doing in a helicopter yesterday. We can fly right out. Verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. You know, that's the best time for God to come when you have no strength and there's no one to help. You know why? You remember who saved you. That's why all these stories, they're at the, they're at the Red Sea. There's an entire army. They don't even have weapons. They can't get across it. Totally hopeless, right? Most of the great men of God are born of women who are barren, who can't even have babies, right? Desperate situations, impossible situations. David details this despair. He lays it all out, and in doing so, we see the Messiah's suffering at his crucifixion. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan, have beset me round about. He's saying that these are men, but they are treating him like animals. And he goes and he talks about bulls. He talks about lions. And he talks about dogs. And he talks about the vicious treatment of men. They gaped on me with their mouths as ravening as a roaring lion. The devil like a roaring lion speaking through people to tear him down. Tried to make him forget who he was. And he had to come to what God was doing in and through him, let them roar. They'll come and they'll tell you who you are, what you're going to be, how pointless your life is. Let them roar. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. All of this is prophetic of Christ, of course. If you're wanting to understand what he means to be poured out like water, what happens at the, at the dinner table when you knock a glass of water over? Can you pick it up? <laughs> it's gone. If you're outside and you spill the water, can you, can you dig down in the dirt of lane and squeeze out the, the water out of the soil? No, it's, it's gone. He's like, there's nothing left. He, has, he had cried in grief. Some of you have known grief like this. It's like all the water of your body's coming out. Your, your, your tears are coming out. There's stuff coming out your nose. You're just, you're just. Uh. You can see all of his bones. They're out of joint. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaved to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of the earth. He's experiencing the, the dryness of the mouth that comes in terror. If you, if you haven't been in really really terrifying situations you don't know what this is about I've, i have a lot of times been way up in a tree where i'm pretty sure i'm going to die uh and you're in some, some oh nothing scares you yeah yeah what scares me is not being able to buy groceries so you get up there and you're like i got to cut this tree down i got to do what ha i got to take care of my family and it's pretty scary fear causes this kind of thing He's, dogs can pass me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Here we have a direct prophecy of the crucifixion where the hands and the feet are pierced. People say, well, how could that be? There wasn't even crucifixion. Calvin offers the thing that he believes crucifixion was something that the Jews did. And that the Romans actually copied it from them. And as I begin to look at the scripture about it, which I don't see... My references to it, I'll tell you about it. If you look into the law, the Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And that people that, were, that died in shameful ways or that were executed, they were oftentimes shamed by being put in a tree. It was something that they did. And so it's a whole thing. I don't know. Maybe it's down here further. He said they can count every bone. They look at me and they stare upon me. He is going through... The depths of his despair because they came from shame and humiliation. Wasting away naked, a public spectacle, all the elements of open shame. Horrible things happening is one thing. But when something horrible happens to you in front of everyone, it's another. 
They parted my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. Humiliation. Like a man killed and robbed, beaten in war, the soldiers reduce his worldly goods to a gleeful game of chance. Once again, the shame of this, of course. This is once again what they did to Christ. He keeps calling on him to hear who can deliver him. David finds his way out of despair. Back to faith in verse 19. But be thou not far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste to help me. He begins to confess who God is. He's the Lord. He's the source of his strength. His strength was gone. And that's how God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. David's strength was gone. Only when we have nothing left can we see it's God who delivers us. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me. See his prayer, now he's, first you're not hearing me, now where is he at? You've heard me. You've heard me from the horns of the unicorns. He's declaring it now. He's being saved from death. Now one thing, being saved from death is a great miracle, but dying and then being raised from the dead, now that's, that's even greater, right? We want to be saved from death. What would Lazarus say now? Pity that he died. Is that what we say about Lazarus, Jesus' friend? You know, it's a sad thing that he died. Is that what we say? Or like... His lack of deliverance from death paved the way for a greater display of God's glory. He compares himself to the mouth of the lion and the horns of the unicorn. And I, I know I've gone for a while, so I won't go much. But this unicorn, just so you know, it's this giant bull creature that lived in the woods. It's not a, it's not a, a, a one-horned horse, you know, that runs around. This powerful, wild bull. You know, you've seen some bucking broncos, heath, some tough ones, but... This wild bull, it's, it's, it's a whole nother level. It's got these massive horns, and they, they were known to run at people and uh, trample them to the ground. And, and uh, once you're in the mouth of a lion, it's a little bit late, right? He's saying, God, you've delivered me out of the mouth of the lion, out of the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. You see where David's coming out now. He's praising the Lord. His name, declare it, the Lord of hosts, mighty in battle. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye seed of Israel, praise him. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Praise him as, as Job did. For he hath not despised nor abandoned the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. Oh yes, David has climbed out of the pit of despair. And he's showing us the way out too here in Psalm 22. I've never been so bad off that God was ashamed of me. I've never been so far gone that he could not save me. He is my father, my God. He has not forsaken me. He has not turned his face from me, but toward me. And he is on his way to help. This is how David is praying now. My praise shall be great in the congregation. I will pay my vows before him that... that that fear him, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord and seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. You see, David is saying, not only is God going to save me, but he's going to save the whole world through me. The salvation of the world is better than personal salvation. Not only is God going to save us, he's going to save the world through us. Amen? Verse 28, very last one. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is governor among the nations. David was being reminded he might be king of Israel, but it's King Jesus who's king of the world. Amen? Once again, in his praise to God, they that fat upon the earth eat and worship all that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him and be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done these things. I am praising God, and one day a people that have not even born will praise him too, David said. Does this sound like he's in despair now? I don't think so. 
My God, my God, oh my God, you have not forsaken me. You have heard my voice. You are the God who always hears, who always saves. Not only will you save your people, but you're going to save the whole world. Amen. The way out of despair is by faith. The way out of shame and humiliation and hopelessness is trusting in God to save us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your love. And today for a way out of the pit of despair. We know, Lord, that if we descend down into the depths of despair, that you are with us. That you will lead us out. Next week we will talk about following you. We will follow you to the valley of the shadow of death. We will follow you beside the green pastures. And it will be you that restores our soul. We pray today, O oh God, that we would live in this confidence and we would be ready when those days of despair come and we would remember that you have given us a way out. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.